Light a campfire and everyone's a storyteller. Join us for some thought-provoking and beyond fireside chats. Hello and welcome to Leave Our World a Better Place. My name is Kasia and my guest today is Peter Lindsay, Director of the Lion Recovery Fund and Wildlife Conservation Network. Peter is joining us to speak about what is probably Africa's most iconic species, the lion. While they remain the species that is arguably the most sought after by safari visitors from around the world, lions are facing a dire threat, with their numbers having declined by half in just a quarter century. Peter will explain the threats facing them, how they can be managed, and what is being done to ensure the survival of Africa's most fearsome predator. Hi, Peter. Thank you so much for joining us. You'll be talking to us about the Lion Recovery Fund today. Thank you for coming along to speak about this really important subject. It's a pleasure. It's uh, nice to be here. Good to chat to you. Before we get into the details of what the Lion Recovery Fund is and, and what it does, I wanted to start off by talking a little bit about the challenges that lions are facing. It is such an iconic species of Africa, and I think very few people realize exactly how endangered it is. There's a lot of attention surrounding species like rhino and even tigers in India, but I don't think there's quite as much awareness about the threats that lions face. You know, most people coming on safari to Africa obviously want to see a lion as part of the big five, and I think a lot of them do get to do that. And even those of us who live in Africa and go on safari often do see lions. What is the reality of, of the situation that lions as a species are faced with? And how threatened are they? Lions are a tricky one in a sense because they're a very visible species when tourists visit the well-known parks. Most tourists visit parks that are relatively well protected. And in parks like that, that have lions, lions are generally a very visible component of the fauna. And so normally you're fairly unlucky if you visit a park for a period of three or four days that has a good lion population if you don't see them. And very often you'll see them several times. And this gives a kind of false sense of security in a sense, because it gives the impression that lions are abundant. But the reality is that there are species that have suffered a very steep decline in recent years. Their numbers have declined by about half over the last 25 years, which is extremely steep. And there's no doubt that their overall numbers continue to decline. So they're not declining everywhere, but there's no doubt that across Africa as a whole, their numbers are continue to decline. So the exact numbers are, are not known. We, we actually have a remarkably inaccurate view of how many lions there are, but there's likely somewhere between 20 and 25,000 and, and likely close to 20,000. And it's possible there are fewer than 20,000, but we just don't know. That's quite a stark reality that we're facing there. What are some of the factors that contribute towards the fact that lions are so endangered? In many senses, lions are the victim of the very rapid changes that are happening in, in Africa. You know, Africa's human population is growing very quickly. The continent is developing extremely rapidly. And I, I read somewhere recently that Africa is changing faster as a continent than any other continent has ever changed. It really is a dynamic place. Unfortunately, some of these changes are very good for humanity, but some of these changes exert extreme pressures on nature. And lions, in a sense, are, are kind of symptomatic of those pressures. So lions are declining as a result of a combination of habitat loss, of loss of their prey populations through bushmeat poaching. It's a really, really big issue. They're also affected by human-lion conflicts. So wherever people and lions coexist, there, there's typically conflict because lions will attack and consume livestock. And so people will kill lions in retaliation. 
or even preemptively. Lions are increasingly poached for their body parts for the international trade and wildlife products. And in some cases, they're killed as part of ritual killing, so kind of rites of passage among certain cultures of the continent. So there's a whole range, a slew of threats. The really big ones, I would say, are habitat loss and, and the loss of prey. But the direct mortality of lions caused by, by humans is, is a significant issue too and, and one that's growing. So as director of the Lion Recovery Fund, you're part of a group that's dedicated to changing this and to reversing the decline in lion numbers. Could you tell me a bit about what is the Lion Recovery Fund and how it works? The Lion Recovery Fund was set up by Wildlife Conservation Network, which is an NGO that's based in in the US. The way it works is we designed a science-based strategy with which to invest funding in lion conservation. So we raise as much funding as we can from as diverse a set of sources as possible. And then we invest 100% of the funds we raise. We don't take a single cent of overhead off um, in projects that are designed to protect lions themselves, Mm -hmm. to protect their habitats and to protect the prey on which they depend. And lions, we really see them as a flagship species. So they're a, a charismatic and popular species. They're also an umbrella species. And, and what that means is that if you can protect a habitat such that it's able to support a lion population, it means that it's able to support almost everything else that occurs there. We work very hard to use the charisma of lions to raise funding to protect African savanna ecosystems writ large. So we don't just try and protect lions. We also try and protect mm-hmm. all of the biodiversity that occurs in the habitats in which lions live. We support a variety of conservation NGOs around the continent that work hand-in-hand with the authorities and with the local communities. And the main kinds of projects that we support, we support a whole variety, Mm -hmm. but the main three types are supporting the management of underfunded protected areas, making sure there's anti-poaching and and management. Secondly, uh, supporting projects that promote the coexistence of people and wildlife in the areas around and in between the protected areas. And then thirdly, tackling the illegal wildlife trade, which in the context of lion conservation principally means tackling the bushmeat trade and tackling the trade in lion body parts. You mentioned lions as an umbrella species and also definitely an apex predator in many African environments. We've also spoken a little bit about biodiversity and protecting that. What are the implications to African environments, to African wilderness areas of the decline in in lion numbers? And why is it so crucial to biodiversity to reverse this? Yeah, so as an apex predator, they do have a disproportionately important ecological role in terms of introducing balance in the system. They they have a strong regulatory effect on the numbers of a variety of their prey species. And so if you remove lions from the system, that, that regulatory effect is removed and wildlife populations can really kind of go out of whack and, and all sorts of unforeseen ecological consequences can arise as a result of removing an apex predator. So certain species become more abundant at the expense of other species. But there are also other kind of socioeconomic impacts. So lions are one of the most sought after, if not the most sought after species among tourists coming to Africa. They're I believe they're the most photographed and posted species on social media among tourists who visit Africa. And there's no doubt at all that if lions Mm -hmm. disappear from systems, Mm -hmm. those systems become much less attractive to to tourists. And there are a number of examples of how lion reintroductions have resulted in increases in tourist arrivals, which results in increased revenues and increased job creation 
and the improvement of national and rural economies. So they are a very significant species and it's critical. And of course, it's critical that we protect them. And of course, they also have an enormous cultural value within Africa. There's there's all, all sorts of cultural links to lions as, as a totem and as a kind of representation of, of royalty and, and of regalness and power. And, and that's reflected in the fact that li- perhaps more than any other species around the world, lions are used as logos mm. by sports teams and, and companies and, and so forth. So they, they really do have a lot of value. And the habitats mm-hmm. that they live in have an immense value to humanity as well on all sorts of levels. And I, can, I could spend a lot of time going into this I won't, but in a nutshell, you know, the natural habitats that lions live in provide all sorts of ecosystem services to humanity from the capturing and storing of carbon yes. to the protection of watersheds and provision of fresh water. And because lions are such a strong flagship, they can help protect those ecosystems or help people protect those ecosystems and thus mm-hmm. retain those ecosystem services for humanity. One of the objectives that the Lion Recovery Fund has has spoken about is that your aim is to see lion numbers double. What do you believe needs to happen in order for this to occur? I see it more as kind of recovering the lions that we've lost over the last 25 years. There's a few things that need to happen. So in Africa, we're fortunate in the sense that a number of African governments have been very generous in terms of the, the proportion of land that they've set aside as protected areas. The continent has a, an epic and vast protected area network. So the number one thing we need to do is to help African countries manage the protected area networks mm-hmm. better. The protected area networks suffer from chronic and acute underfunding, and that means that it's very hard for those protected areas to withstand human pressure. So we have more than enough conservation mm-hmm. land to achieve a doubling of lion numbers, more than enough. In fact, the recent science estimates that if we were to manage Africa's protected areas optimally, those areas could support between three and four times the total wild population of lions. So that's the first most important thing we need to do. We then need to manage mm-hmm. conflicts between lions and people that occur in and around the protected areas. We need to make sure that the conservation areas work for local people and local economies, real positive Mm -hmm. drivers in uh, local and national economies. And then we need to tackle the illegal wildlife trade. As as I said, there's this really dire trade in in bushmeat, which is just a massive threat. And then there's this nascent but growing threat from poaching of lions and and trading in their body parts. We need to get on, on top of that. And I think those three three steps represent most of, of what needs to be done to s- secure the future for Africa's lions. It's, it's really easy to break it down to three steps, but those are all really big issues on their own. Just in terms of the, of the illegal trade, that in itself is an absolutely huge beast to tackle. And how do you, as an organization, even go about beginning with something like that? Do you look at sort of the grassroots level where the actual poaching is happening or do you look at, at where the demand is coming from how do you even begin to to sort of tackle an issue like that let's talk about the bush meat trade because it is it's a, it's a different issue to the trade in lion body parts and at the moment it's a more more significant threat and it's it's a really multifaceted issue complicated issue because people have eaten bush meat for millennia it's very ingrained in human culture in, in Africa, as it, indeed it is in many parts of the world. The challenge is, of course, now that human populations have, have grown you know, exponentially and wildlife populations have shrunk. So it's, it's no longer the case that wildlife populations can sustain human populations. And so 
harvest of wildlife for meat has to be something very carefully regulated. And, and in many contexts, it's simply illegal in Africa, for example, in, in most of the protected areas. So, so one of the steps is to make sure there's proper management and anti-poaching in the field to prevent poaching of wildlife for meat. Then there needs to be anti-trafficking efforts to disrupt the trade in bushmeat because the trade is increasingly commercialized, whereby poachers will, will hunt animals for meat in the parks and reserves and then send that meat to, to the towns and mm-hmm. cities. So there need to be efforts to disrupt that trade. There need to be effective laws in place to ensure that legal hunting for bushmeat and illegal traders is dealt with severely. There need to be efforts to create alternative livelihoods mm-hmm. among the people living close to protected areas and to incentivize them to protect wildlife so that they get benefits from wildlife other than through hunting. Where there are protein shortages, there need to be efforts to, to tackle those protein shortages so that you don't just take away a protein source and then don't replace it with something. There need to be efforts to raise awareness about the issues associated with the bushmeat trade. For example, one of the challenges with it is often the end consumer doesn't know what species they're eating. The meat is often very poorly preserved and often not very fresh or hygienic. Sometimes it can carry diseases that are conferred to humans. It's one of these really complicated issues that, that needs to be hit from five or six different angles in order to be uh, tackled effectively. You've spoken a little bit about the three main areas that the Lion Recovery Fund tackles. So underfunded, protected conservation areas, projects that support coexistence between wildlife and communities in the illegal trade. But there's just so many projects out there. How do you choose and focus on the projects that you support? What are the sort of criteria that you look at? And where do you focus your resources? We, we did a big assessment at the beginning of the Lion Recovery Fund to understand which conservation actors are doing what and where around Africa and where, where the gaps are. So we do have a very good idea of what's going on. We have a very strong network within the conservation community. So we ha- have our ear very close to the ground. So I, I do have a very good idea as to who's doing what and where. And so a key part of it is kind of understanding where the gaps are. Mm-hmm. And so part of what we do is we find existing projects that are operating we have three buckets. We consider all lion populations as being important, but we look at three contexts and we call it retain, recover, and rescue. So retain speaks to sites that have very large lion populations where we're trying to preserve those large populations and, and ensure that they continue to be large. Examples of those big populations include the Okavango Delta, the Serengeti, Mara, Kruger, Wangi National Park, these kind of places that have very mm-hmm. big populations, you know, Salu Game Reserve. Waha uh, National Park in Tanzania, etc. The second context is what we call recover, which is the vast areas of conservation land in, in Africa where lion and other wildlife populations are depleted, but where there are hu- there's huge potential for recovery. And good examples include the protected areas in Angola, protected areas in Central African Republic. Some of the protected areas in Zambia and Mozambique are, are pretty depleted. But there are, there are examples in almost every African country of, of, of depleted, protected areas. So I don't wish, wish to pick on those countries unduly by any stretch. And so in, in that context, we will support projects that, that mm-hmm. are designed to, to rehabilitate wildlife areas to enable lions to recover. And then the third context is what we call rescue, which is context where lions are on the edge of extinction in, mm-hmm. in the country in which they occur. There are a number of countries where lions are really on the edge. So examples include many West and Central African countries. So Senegal, for example, mm-hmm. Niger, Burkina Faso, 
even even Malawi uh, lions are, are on the edge. That's been turned around to some extent recently by the efforts of African parks. But yeah, they're certainly on the edge. In Uganda lions are not doing well. Angola lions are, are, are struggling. So investing in projects in those kind of countries mm-hmm. to, just to make sure that the lions don't go extinct because I think it's highly problematic if a country loses all of its lions. So then what we do within, within those contexts, we try and find projects where our funding will make a transformational difference. So if we can help an effective project with a, an NGO that's got a proven track record, if we can help them scale up th- thematically, so take on different sets of activities or scale up geographically, to expand their area of operation, then those are the kind of projects that w- that we invest in. You've spoken about the organizations you work with, and it's very obvious there's a, a huge network that you rely on, NGOs, and really relationships that built up this whole context of the Lion Recovery Fund. And it's quite obvious that you believe there's strength through collaboration. And one of the things you've touched on very briefly is the tourism industry. How crucial is your relationship with the tourism industry and how does that work, obviously, both in terms of, of sort of, of funding and, and of helping to raise awareness around lions? Yeah, so the tourism industry is a very important actor in African conservation. It's an enormous industry. It generates huge revenues for a number of African countries and is a very important factor in terms of incentivizing efforts by African countries to continue to conserve their wildlife. It's a strong motivator. The importance of the tourism industry cannot be underestimated. We'd love to see the tourism industry expand more in future and and very confident that it will. It'd be nice to see it expand to more African countries. But as a partner for the Lion Recovery Fund, we we recognize the the power and scale of the tourism industry. And so we formed this entity called the Lionscape Coalition, which is a partnership between the tourism industry and the Lion Recovery Fund. And, and it's an effort to harness the economic power of the tourism industry behind a single conservation effort. Because a lot of tourism companies do a lot of you know, important corporate social responsibility initiatives around conservation and around community engagement. But to some extent, they have been a little bit scattered, not to in any way undermine them or belittle them. But we felt that if there was a way to kind of bring competing companies together behind a single large-scale conservation effort that we could potentially really increase the impact the tourism sector is having in the conservation world. And there's a couple more points to this. So one is that at the moment, the tourism sector is, is concentrated around a number of hotspot areas in the continent. And so what we wanted to do was to create a mechanism whereby the tourism mm-hmm. industry could contribute not only to protecting tourism hotspots, but also to protecting areas of land where tourists at the moment don't go. So parts of the continent mm-hmm. that are suffering civil strife or political instability or, or that are too remote and off the beaten track. And so the Lionscape Coalition has enabled us to do that, to, to harness the power of, of the tourism sector, bring competing companies together to work together behind a single conservation effort, raise funding to invest to protect tourism hotspots, but also other areas. And what's important, I think the last thing to say about this is that the tourism companies in Africa, in a sense, your markets, your your customers are the single largest body of, of wildlife aficionados or wildlife lovers or African wildlife lovers on, on earth. So it, it, it provides access to an extremely important mm-hmm. constituency. And so it's really important avenue both raise funding for, for lion and savannah and wildlife conservation, but also to raise awareness. So it's been fantastic to be in partnership with, uh, with the tourism sector. Fabulous. Now, 
that audience that you're speaking about, whether it's it's awareness or actual funding, how could the average person or the average tourist who becomes aware of it, how can they get involved? How can they help? I think it's important that when people feel comfortable in relation to the COVID pandemic, it's really important that people come back to Africa and continue to visit Africa's wildlife areas. And I would also encourage people to be adventurous and to try and visit protected areas and conservation areas a bit off the beaten track. It's important to raise awareness among friends and peers about the conservation plight facing Africa's wildlife and, and lions in particular. The single most effective thing mm -hmm. that people could do, of course, is to donate and provide financial support. So as I said, the Lion Recovery Fund does try to raise funding from a wide variety of, of, of sources. And if someone donates $10 or $20 or $50 or $100 or $100,000 or $5 million, we will take every single cent of those donations and, and pass it on to the, the best ideas for conserving lions and their prey and their habitats in the field. So we do really urge people to, mm -hmm. to get behind this effort. And what are the mechanisms through which people can donate? Your website or in, in, in what way? Yeah, the easiest way is just to visit our website, which is www.lionrecoveryfund.org, and then just to follow the links there. You mentioned the COVID pandemic and obviously encouraging people to come back and travel to Africa once they do feel comfortable. How has the pandemic impacted your operations? Obviously, bearing in mind that there is that element of fundraising through tourism and that has been impacted quite severely. And thinking about maybe compassion fatigue and how do you actually keep awareness in the context of everything that's, that's happened around the world on a project like this and basically keep people focused on the fact that this is still something that needs focus and that biodiversity is in fact connected with things like the COVID pandemic? I guess there's two parts to that question. So the first, in terms of how the COVID pandemic has affected, it's affected the Lion Recovery Fund per se in, in that certain parts of our supporter base have been badly affected. So the tourism industry is, the, is obviously a big one you mentioned. You know, the tourism industry has been really, really hammered by the, the COVID pandemic because people stopped traveling. The zoos in, in the, the West and in, in the US in particular mm -hmm. have been strong supporters of us and, and they've also suffered greatly from uh, lockdowns and not being able to open their gates. And so, and so we've had a reduction in income from certain sectors. But in terms of the conservation sector writ mm -hmm. large within Africa, I think there's two main impacts. So the first is that income for conservation has declined. The main thing has been the decline of the tourism industry, which has really, really affected the budgets of the wildlife authorities, of community conservation areas, of private conservation areas. Also, you know, there's been a reduction in donations from a number of sectors. So, so there's generally been a reduction in, in funding for conservation. And at the same time, there's been greater pressure on, on wildlife. And this is particularly manifested through increased bushmeat poaching, poaching of animals for, for meat. This is because of a combination of factors, because of re-influxes of people to rural areas, because of lockdowns in the cities. It's because of increased mm -hmm. joblessness and poverty and food insecurity, etc. And so you've got a situation where there's more threats on wildlife and less funding with which to deal with it. So the Lion Recovery Fund has been inundated with uh, requests from struggling conservation organizations for emergency funding. So We've been trying to jump around and raise as much funding as we can to support conservation efforts in the field to make sure that rangers don't get laid off, that essential conservation services continue. 
and that we don't have gaps in, in conservation coverage that mm-hmm. could result in catastrophic losses due to poaching or other threats. So that's, I think, answers the first part of your question. The second part of your question is around how the COVID mm-hmm. pandemic emphasizes the importance of conserving nature. It does seem increasingly clear that pandemics are associated with the destruction of nature and the consumption of wildlife as food. And so it's this just really shines a light on, on how, as a species, we can't afford to continue to abuse nature in the way that we have. We need to redouble, triple quadruple our efforts in terms of of protecting and conserving nature because the fact is there are very very real consequences for humanity if we fail to protect nature in the form of climate change in the form of pandemics in the form of lost ecosystem services like lost clean water provision dirty air and also just a greatly impoverished world you know if you can imagine a world without charismatic wildlife species or without beautiful trees and birds nature you know the world just becomes a a greatly impoverished place we've got to increase our efforts tenfold because we're just not doing enough and at the moment the overall picture in relation to conservation around the world is is extremely Mm -hmm. depressing so i can't think of a more important cause at the moment both in terms of environmental well-being but also the the mental and physical well-being of this and future generations of Mm. people peter from your last comment it's it's really very obvious the sort of emotional connection that you feel to to the environment and to lions as, as a species. So perhaps to end off on a bit of a positive note and also on a personal note, you know, you must have spent a lot of time out in the field and had a lot of really, really memorable encounters and moments with lions. Can you share a favorite moment or a favorite couple of moments with us? Well, I'll share a hair-raising moment that I had recently. So I'm a Zimbabwean and Zimbabwe has has wonderful wildlife areas and actually very privileged to live in a country that still has such uh, rich wildlife assets. Towards the end of last year, at the end of the dry season, I went uh, with my family to visit Wangi National Park in uh, northwest Zimbabwe, and we we stayed at a at a campsite in a very beautiful part of of the park. And I specifically wanted to look for lions, and specifically there are two male lions there that are called Netsai and, and Humba that dominate that particular area. They're an incredibly beautiful pair of, of lions. They're actually related to Cecil, the, the world's most famous lion, famous or infamous lion. Anyway, so, we, so we're camping and we'd spent the first couple of days looking for lions and surprisingly, we hadn't seen any, we hadn't heard any and you know, we were a little bit frustrated and went to bed that night in our tents that are behind a kind of a rickety fence. So there's myself, my partner, and our two-year-old boy sleeping in this in this tent. And we were woken up at about eleven o'clock by the absolutely earth-shattering sound of these of two male lions that we knew instantly were Itzai and Humba roaring within, I would guess, about thirty meters of, of the of the tent. And it's an absolutely even though I'm obviously very familiar with lions. They still, particularly in, at night, instill a deep sense of, of fear. They're scary animals, oh, particularly wow. at night. And so our, our big concern was that uh, Leo, our aptly named son, would wake up mm. and start screaming because, because if mm-hmm. he did, then obviously that would pose a quite a dangerous situation. And so after this carried on for about five or ten minutes, I just carefully <laughs> unzipped the tent to have a look to see what was happening. And to my horror, 
the lions were actually inside the fenced area of the campsite. So they were right so really, really close to the tent. So we just kind of zip the tent back up, lie down, and just kind of hope for the best. And oh, thankfully, wow. um, they they kind of continued roaring for a bit and then ran off and, and were chasing other, other lions and kind of engaging in territorial behavior and didn't have any interest in us. But it was certainly a bit of a hair-raising experience. And and I was firmly told by my partner that never again will we go camping with a two-year-old. So I'm sure all your listeners will be like, what the heck were you, were you even doing doing that? But the, anyway, it's certainly an experience we'll always remember. There really is no sound like that roar of a lion. It just, you you feel it as much as you hear it, don't you? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, our son's got two little boys. You know, the hope is if, if um, obviously they must do what they want to do for their careers, but the hope is if, if we expose them to nature enough, they will also choose to do uh, wildlife conservation as, as a career. No pressure, boys, but that's what you're doing. <laughs> well, you're keeping fingers crossed. <laughs> Peter, thank you so much. That's been an absolutely fantastic introduction to the Lion Recovery Fund. I look forward to having you back to tell us a little bit more about specific projects that, that you're involved with. But for now, thank you very much. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. And I'd you know, also just like to say a big thank you to and beyond for your partnership in the Lionscape Coalition and, and friendship through this lion conservation journey. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening to and Beyond Fireside Chats. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. If you have any comments or feedback, or would like to suggest a topic you'd like to hear us talk about, drop us an email at firesidechats at endbeyond.com. We'd love to hear from you.